You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. It's official. The 2019 federal election campaign is underway. Justin Trudeau and wife Sophie Gregoire Trudeau arriving at Rideau Hall in Ottawa this morning to ask Governor General Julie Payette to dissolve Parliament, triggering Canada's 43rd general election. Now, the leaders have 40 days to convince voters why their party is the right one for Canada. Richard Zussman has more from the day one kickoff. It's a family moment that may not happen again for a while. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau walking his three kids to school. The reason? Trudeau's now on the campaign trail. In every election, as Canadians, we get to make an important choice about the future of our country. The Liberal leader starting his day in Ottawa and ending it in Vancouver. Trudeau trying to bring the shine back to his brand after his trustworthiness has dipped in the public's mind over the SNC-Lavalin affair. We've put more money in people's pockets by cutting taxes for the middle class and raising them on the wealthiest 1%. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer on the attack from the start. Departing Ottawa this morning and after a fog delay, finally arriving in Trois-Rivières, Quebec, before heading to Toronto. Nothing can slow the leader from sending what will be the message of the campaign. From the beginning of this scandal, he has been incapable of being honest with Canadians and he has consistently been caught in his own falsehoods. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh kicking off his campaign in London, Ontario. The party has been struggling to gain traction and is desperate to hold on to more than 40 seats. So this election comes down to a really clear question. Who can you count on to fight for you? Then there's the Green Party and leader Elizabeth May. The party has been riding high in the polls, especially in British Columbia. And there's never been more attention on them, but there's also never been so much scrutiny. No one can dissuade us from seeing clearly that we need to move away from fossil fuels as quickly as possible. And that's mission possible. May kicking off the campaign in Victoria, with Vancouver Island the party's best shot at a breakthrough. The Greens will be facing scrutiny in this campaign after one candidate recently supported Quebec separating from Canada, while another supported reopening the debate on legal abortions. We will not retreat one inch from a woman's right to a legal and safe abortion ever. That is a commitment. Wednesday, just the beginning of a 40-day sprint to an election night on October 21st. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Okay, let's bring in Keith Baldry right now in Victoria to talk more about how important B.C.'s ridings are to this election. Keith, there are a number of them in play. Yeah, we're calling them battleground ridings, uh, Chris. Uh, there's 42 seats in B.C., of course, but uh, a number of them, probably around 20, are fairly competitive. And this time around, perhaps between uh, three or four-way races. We're going to focus from uh, time to time. I showed you a couple last night. I want to take a look at a couple of the islands, a uh, couple of the ridings over here on the island. First of all, Victoria, very much a key uh, potential three-way fight here. The NDP won it quite handsomely in 20, uh, 2015, but the NDP incumbent is not running this time. The Greens had a very... Uh, 
impressive showing of almost one third of the vote. So the Liberals and the Greens both think they are competitive here with the NDP. It's going to be a fascinating uh, fight to the finish. And also right next door is Esquimalt, Saanich and Souk. Again, this was won by the NDP by a fairly comfortable margin. And the incumbent, Randall Garrison, is running again. But the Liberals uh, can, uh, candidate there is a well-known local ex-forces person. Of course, that's the home of CFB Esquimalt. The Liberals think they have a shot there. And as Richard reported, the Greens think they're competitive in pretty well every riding on Vancouver Island. They think this was one very much in play for them. So on the, certainly the capital region, Chris, we're calling these two battleground ridings. We're going to be taking a closer look at them uh, throughout the campaign. I'll have more ridings to look out from time to time as we get closer to October 21st. Look forward to that and a campaign rally here in B.C. that involves Justin Trudeau a little bit later in the newscast. Yep. Thanks very much, Keith. We'll be in touch. In the meantime, a brazen and deadly shooting outside of McDonald's in Aldergrove last night has even seasoned police officers shocked no innocent bystanders were hurt. The target gunned down just outside the restaurant, shattering the windows. Jordan Armstrong explains what we're learning about the victim and the trail of evidence. The food, not the only thing fast here. The assassins fled quickly after spraying the McDonald's with bullets. The victim shot dead just outside the entrance. It just speaks to the brazenness of these people, the recklessness. Um, and I'm sure these people, they don't, they don't give a damn about our safety. The shooting near 264th Street and 56th Avenue happened about 8 p.m. when the restaurant was busy with customers. To have this so close to home with so many kids around and so many young people working inside McDonald's, it's scary. A McDonald's worker who didn't want to be on camera told Global News it was terrifying. She heard between 8 and 10 gunshots. Then she says a big guy with tattoos burst into the restaurant and shouted at everybody to get down, get down, my buddy's been shot. Staff hit the kitchen floor while customers locked themselves in a washroom. I would say it is a miracle, by God's grace, whatever language you choose to use, that nobody else was hurt from this. The victim was a man in his 30s with gang ties. As for suspects, no one is in custody yet, but investigators do have surveillance footage and a possible getaway vehicle. This SUV was found on fire in Abbotsford, 11 kilometers southeast of the original crime scene. We're doing our absolute best to find these people and to bring them in. And, of course, and we can't do it without the help of the community. A community traumatized by a brazen public execution that could have easily claimed innocent lives. Oh, I just moved out of Surrey to get away from this like a few years ago. I didn't want to raise my son around this stuff, and here I am. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A 26-year-old woman has been arrested and charged in connection with a series of luggage thefts at the domestic terminal at YVR. Miriam Tremblay of Vancouver is now facing seven counts of theft under $5,000. The charges stem from luggage stolen from the carousel between July 12th and August 2nd. Tremblay is the third person to be arrested in connection with stolen luggage this year. And if you've had your bike stolen recently, you might want to give the Vancouver Police Department a call. They've just made one of the biggest single seizures of stolen property in recent history. I'm a 19-year officer of the Vancouver Police Department, and I've never seen one recovery of 148 bikes. That's right. Officers recovered 148 stolen bicycles, scooters, and electric bicycles worth tens of thousands of dollars. 
Patrol officers were investigating an unrelated incident in the 800 block of Powell Street, August 29th, when they were led to a nearby storage facility. Multiple lockers were filled with stolen bicycles. Now police are trying to get the stolen property back to their rightful owners. The more description that anybody has regarding their bikes, serial numbers, make and model, a photograph, and especially a receipt for a proof of purchase is any way to describe your bike. Three men from Vancouver and one man from Surrey were arrested and then released without charge as the investigation continues. Any bikes not claimed will go to the Vancouver police auction. More tonight on that cell phone video taken by a passenger in a taxi as the driver cruised down a bike lane in Vancouver. Police confirm they're investigating the incident, but it's adding fuel to the debate around the safety of taxis versus ride hailing. A question Ted Chernecki tried to ask the company responsible. With the proliferation of dash cams and cell phones, bad drivers can't get away with much these days. Here two years ago, a Sardell cab on the far right comes perilously close to sideswiping another vehicle on the way to YVR. And it was at Vancouver International where the latest incident starts. A passenger points his cell phone camera and captures this video of his Sardell cabbie driving for two and a half blocks in a bike lane on Dunsmuir Street. You can see a cyclist coming directly at him. Definitely confirms some of my thoughts about taxi drivers in this city. Um, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, he's a taxi driver, so he should know better because he drives all over the place. It's an ambulance? Taxi. Oh, don't like that. Multiple calls to the BC Taxi Association last night and today have not been returned. And calls to the Sirdell Kennedy Taxi Limited Company have not been returned today. Last night they told us they'd have a supervisor available today to talk about this, but apparently that's not the case. Oh, hi there. It's Global TV News call here. Uh, can we come in and talk to your uh, supervisor? No, you may not. The BC Taxi Association is in a legal fight with the province's new ride-sharing legislation that's expected to allow companies like Uber and Lyft to start operating here before Christmas. Advocates of more competition say this video illustrates why ride-sharing is needed. Well, what happens with a ride-share driver if they have a major infraction, something they can't explain, um, they're taken off the system so they can't book on, so they can't accept rides, they can't take rides. Whereas taxi drivers had that video not... Uh, been exposed, then I suppose that drivers just keep driving the road. Earlier this week, Mayor Doug McCallum said there will be no ride sharing in Surrey under his watch. Tetranaki Global News. After fears we were heading into another dangerous wildfire season, the number of fires and hectares burned are considerably below forecast and much below normal. According to the BC Wildfire Service, so far this season, We've seen 782 wildfires and 21,154 hectares burned. Now compare that to last year when wildfires ravaged 1.3 million hectares. This season there were only nine wildfires of note and Emergency Management BC reported eight evacuation alerts and two evacuation orders. The BC Wildfire Service credits the wetter and cooler weather for the lower numbers this year. But right now... A devastating outcome for the family of a 62-year-old man who was murdered in his own home. They've waited more than two years for their day in court, only to learn after several delays the charge against the accused killer is now dropped. Ramina Dea explains what happened. 
Who killed 62-year-old Clarence Crothers? The trial was set to begin next month, but the case has collapsed. My vision went gray, almost as if I was going to pass out when they told me that it's going to be a stay of charges. The victim's son, Joseph, says IHIT investigators and Crown Counsel delivered the devastating news Tuesday. It's been more than two years since Crothers was found dead in his Abbotsford apartment. His body discovered July 4th, 2017. What happened in Crothers' suite? What was the motive? We still don't know. Five weeks after the disabled victim was discovered, 51-year-old Jeffrey Charles Halicki was charged with second-degree murder. The charge now abruptly dropped. No explanation why, says Joseph, just an apology. 50 officers assigned to a case, 160 statements, yet somehow failure took place. And all I got was an apology. With every investigation, we do a fulsome investigation. We collect all the evidence. That particular case, there was charge approval. We forwarded the evidence. And uh, whatever the outcome is, I can't speak to it right now because well, I just can't. It's, it's, with the, it's with the BC Prosecution Service. No answers from IHIT nor the BC Prosecution Service. No specifics on what changed. Only that a review was conducted and the available evidence no longer satisfies the charge assessment standard for continued prosecution. Haliki, who has a criminal record for robbery, weapons offences and manslaughter, has been in custody since August 2017, when he was charged with Crothers' murder. Now that the charge has been thrown out, Haliki is free to go. Now I'm left wondering if anyone's going to be held accountable. There's no justice in the end. Romina Dea, Global News. There he is. He's just hanging around on a lamp standard. Actually, the paraglider is a she, and yes, she ended up dangling from a lamppost approximately 20 feet in the air above a merge lane on Highway 99 in Squamish. It happened Tuesday morning. Officials say she took off from the Stawamish Chief, but the wind pushed her away from the parking lot landing zone and towards the highway. Thankfully, crews were able to get her down, and she was not injured. Squamish Fire Rescue has responded to three paraglider incidents this year, all within the last couple of weeks. A wake-up call for dog owners from the city of Vancouver tonight. Those doggy-do bags you think are biodegradable actually are not. In fact, the city has to pay contractors to deal with animal waste in the most unpleasant way you can imagine. The problem is so bad, the city needs your help to find a better way. And a warning... The subject matter here obviously is not for the squeamish. Bag it and forget it. Most dog owners give little thought to the waste Fido makes. I pick it up and I hope I find one of those red bins. Usually put it in the designated bins. Even bagged and put in the red bins that have popped up on a limited basis. People have no idea of what it takes to get rid of. Do you know what happens to your to the poop in there? No, I. That's one thing I haven't looked into. I was okay. hoping it would go somewhere to some compost. The crap in the red bins is collected, and then each bag is cut open by hand. The bag's not compostable or biodegradable, despite what the labels say. The poop is then liquefied and taken to the sewage treatment plant. It works, but it isn't ideal. It is really labor intensive. 
It's not cheap. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of labor cost. Region-wide, Metro Vancouver estimates 150 tons of dog waste is diverted through this red bin program every year. Most of the ends up in household garbage, though. The city of Vancouver is looking to find another way asking the public for potential solutions. We just need to be able to look at what a full-scale citywide program uh, might look like and make sure that we have some redundancy in that system. Diverting dog poop from the landfill is a monumental task. Metro Vancouver and most cities have websites where dog owners can get the simple information that can make the process a lot less unpleasant. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It's not often we have to bleep out the reporter, but in this case, it was appropriate. Well, uh, on the topic of dogs, we have a happy ending tonight to that story. We told you earlier this week about a family pet that went missing while in the care of a dog sitter. Sammy is back home safe and sound four days after she disappeared. Linda Aylesworth has more on the ingenious way her family managed to get her back. Sammy was just a puppy when she became the fifth member of the Brennan Lurcher family. We got Sammy um, for the family shortly after I was diagnosed with MS. And so Sammy was meant, she was like our therapy dog. So when the now two and a half year old Shepherd Cross went missing last Friday. Just looking for my lost dog. The fault of a careless dog sitter. They launched an all out search of the Fraser Hood neighborhood and put out a call for help on social media. There were strangers who offered for days to follow and walk and take other routes. There were so many people that people were asking me if I had seen my own dog. They even created a map of sightings based on social media posts, all to no avail. We're, dare I say, losing a bit of hope that we might find her. And yet, today, <laughs> Sammy is back where she belongs, to the delight of her devoted family and even to total strangers. Saw her all over Facebook. She's home. We and, found her. And the news, how did you find her? The answer, they followed advice offered by multiple canine experts and left a scent trail at the place she'd been spotted most often. I left my daughter's pillow in the cemetery, like right in the, actually I left it at my grandparents' grave. Last night they added even more familiar scents, then slightly adjusted the location. There's a, a, a family there that said, hey, if you put the bed, we're up most of the night, we'll keep an eye on it. And then we've got to call at 5 a.m. She's like, there's something on the bed. And I'm like, are you sure? They were sure. Michael raced to the site. As soon as her nose came in here, she just put it into my chest and started to smell me. And then she instantly just whimpered and rolled over. What did you do? I just gave her a big hug. <laughs> and so everybody rallied together to not only show their love for us, but to help us bring Sammy home. Probably restored my faith in humanity a little bit. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A different kind of commemoration today as Americans remembered the victims of the 9-11 terror attacks 18 years ago. Along with the people who died that day, they're also paying tribute to those who have died since from being exposed to toxic chemicals. 22 new names on the New York City Fire Department's memorial and Manhattan's 9-11 memorial has a new section for those who died and those who will die from 9-11 related diseases. <laughs> a major move south of the border today stemming from the growing concerns about the health effects of vaping. 
The Trump administration says it will ban thousands of flavors used in e-cigarettes. The vaping epidemic today getting presidential attention. We can't allow people to get sick and we can't have our youth be so affected. The administration promising to take flavored e-cigarettes off the market, used, it says, by 5 million American children. What we're doing today is ensuring that kids will not have access to the products they've been seeking and using, which are these flavored e-cigarette products. A dramatic step to regulate the devices linked to six deaths and almost 500 reported lung injuries. In Wisconsin today, evidence from a law enforcement crackdown, seizing dozens of jars of THC oil, the active ingredient in marijuana, from an illegal vaping operation. 20-year-old Tyler Huffines was the mastermind, say officials, turning out three to 5,000 flavored cartridges a day laced with THC and selling them to high school students. Huffines has not entered a plea. And they're actually packaging these or filling them with 1,000 milligrams of THC. So it's 157 times the potency of what the labeling says. It's not candy. It's highly potent drugs. Health officials suspect such counterfeit products may be behind the spike in the life-threatening illnesses. With an e-cigarette, the battery fires electronic currents to heat up nicotine or THC-enriched liquid and turn it into vapor. That vapor is then inhaled into the lungs. The inflammation can come from this heated aerosol traveling into the lung and reacting with the lining of the lung. 15-year-old Cooper Stevens vaped, and it almost cost him his life. Just uh, go forward from here, try to help people to not like vape like my friends. His habit, doctors say, led to a fever, pneumonia, nine days on a ventilator, and organ failure, shattering his mom, JC. And have the doctors look at you and say, be prepared, your child may not recover. And that was terrifying. In Health Matters tonight, an early red flag raised about this year's flu season. The experts say if the experience of countries in the southern hemisphere is any indication, it's going to be a bad one. Yeah, that would be cool. I love the Halloween party. For Nevada Cuttington, these moments with her family, a gift. I never thought I was actually going to, you know, be able to sit here today at this um, healthiness and be able to feel as good as I do. Cunnington became deathly ill after contracting H1N1 in December. The flu virus so severe it put her in a coma for 15 days. I was hospitalized for 39 days and 59 days is when I actually had the last tube taken out of me. We have the flu season that is um, going to be happening within the next several months. So we are looking very carefully at planning for that. Already this summer, Ontario's health minister issuing a warning about the upcoming flu season due to a huge spike in the number of flu cases in Australia. Officials in that country saying the flu season started unusually early there. Any country in the southern hemisphere have their, their winter uh, in when we have our summer, of course. We can see some prediction of what is going to be a problem in our flu season. There are people that are at high risk, but even the people that are low risk, it's important that they get vaccinated to protect those around them. For Cunnington, who was once an anti-vaxxer, getting a flu shot is now a no-brainer. I was naive. I was, in, I was against vaccinations and flu shots. And this year, I will be going October 21st to go get my flu shot. Tracy Guy, Global News.
All right, returning to our top story now, federal election campaigning is officially underway. And as we mentioned at the top of the hour, B.C. is expected to hold significant importance this time around. Global's Mercedes Stevenson is live in Vancouver. Just a few hours ago was on the tarmac in Ottawa, but she's live in Vancouver now where Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is wasting no time. Mercedes kicking off his campaign in a key battleground riding. Exactly. A riding long held by the NDP, but Liberals on the plane were telling us they are convinced that they can take it. Of course, they have a high-profile candidate here, Tamara Taggart, who is a former television anchor, well-known. This room, you can see, I think, behind me, is absolutely packed. And so this is a great starting point from the political strategy perspective for the campaign. Number one, it's showing they can take ridings they did not traditionally have. And then number two, that they have support. And that's going to be critical for them, especially in the lower mainland, around areas like the greater Toronto area and in Quebec. And the same is true for the other parties. These are really the battlegrounds and the ridings that they have to win, not only to win government, but which will determine whether it's a majority or a minority for whoever the victor is. Right. Another major battleground is Vancouver Granville. There's a report in the Canadian press that Jody Wilson-Raybould, who is now running as an independent there, was interviewed again by RCMP this week. What have you learned about that? Yeah, so there's this report saying that she has now spoken to the RCMP for a second time. Remember, she first disclosed to Global News on the West Block that she had been interviewed by the RCMP back in the spring. Now they're talking about potential obstruction of justice. This dovetails with a report that was in the Globe and Mail this morning that said the RCMP were looking to talk to people and to obtain documents related to the SNC-Lavalin scandal, asking questions that could relate to an obstruction of justice investigation, but that Ottawa and the bureaucracy were blocking them. Now, I can tell you that I spoke to a Liberal source uh, who confirms that the RCMP were, in fact, looking for an expanded waiver to be able to talk to people and see documents that are typically covered off by what I just told you, cabinet confidence. That basically allows politicians to talk about things in private, in cabinet, without having them spill into public. But it can also be used to prevent access. In this case, the clerk of the Privy Council, who is the most senior bureaucrat in the government of Canada, made the decision not to issue it. The Prime Minister's office says they didn't know about this until after the fact, in terms of that denial. But there's no plan to overturn it. Now we'll see if that has any impact on voting this election cycle. Mercedes, thanks very much. and. Uh, Good luck on the campaign trail. Welcome. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. I'm so glad I'm back home in Canada to feel all the love in person. She, the North, comes home. Canadian tennis hero Bianca Andreescu's first, pay, uh, first day back after her U.S. Open triumph. That's coming up right after the forecast. So we'll check in right now with Christy. This is, uh, oh, before we get to Christie, of course, this is what it looked like today in parts of Indonesia as a noxious haze descended on the capital city of the island of Sumatra. The thick clouds of smoke from fires burning in peatland forests, reducing visibility and forcing the closure of schools. Hospitals are full of people suffering from respiratory distress. In nearby Malaysia, students did go to school but were given masks to protect them from the smoke, even though we know from the fires here those masks do very little to protect you from smoke. Okay, now we get to check in with Christy. Decent day today, uh, but there is that change you mentioned before that's coming. 
A soaker of a forecast, unfortunately, coming, Chris. First, I want to show you this mushroom cloud. I'm calling it that. It's not the mushroom cloud in nuclear sense, but it is very interesting. It's spotted in Kelowna by various people today. Basically, it's a convective cloud, a cloud that's trying to grow to become maybe a thunderstorm cloud. And higher up in the atmosphere, we get this inversion. Basically, it caps it and doesn't allow it to grow vertically. Instead, it forces that cloud cover to spread out uh, in sort of a mushroom shape, as you can see Blake sent us this one, another one from Patricia, looking towards the, the mountains south of Kelowna and Howard soon. So thank you to everyone. Really interesting to see that. Meanwhile, back at home, clouds not as interesting today. It was pleasant, but we certainly saw them thicken throughout the day, and it's because of this rainfall that's pushing in. Now, tomorrow morning, we may see a few showers here, but it's likely, this is a very thin but intense band that's moving in, it's very likely that this will be still north of us, so hitting areas like Whistler and Comox, whereas Vancouver and Victoria remaining dry. In fact, we may remain dry for much of the day. It's not until later in the day, maybe your commute home or while you're having dinner, that that band pushes in, and it will be intense brief, and then it will move on and leave us with just a few showers. So this is the timeline, mostly dry throughout the day. Commute home potentially wet, and while you're having dinner very wet and into the evening hours. How much rain? Well, anywhere from 10 to 30 millimeters with the hardest hit areas on the west coast of Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast. And they'll also see strong gusty winds up to 50 kilometers an hour, not as much for Metro Vancouver. Uh, So northern regions will also see the rain, and then it will push to the south. Increasing cloud for southern interior regions. Your rainfall will happen overnight tomorrow night. For the south coast, that band moving in from the northwest and spreading down across the region. It will be much drier on Friday, but then we're back to wet weather all over the weekend, unfortunately. And I'll leave you with one last shot of less uh, dangerous looking clouds off in the distance. This is from West Vancouver, the sunset last night. Beautiful oranges and yellows there. Oh, great shot. Thank you, Lana. And thank you, Christy. Well, it took her a few days to get home, but Canada's reigning tennis hero was finally back on Canadian soil. After Bianca Andreescu's whirlwind tour of U.S. media after winning the U.S. Open, she sat down today with Global's Farah Nasser to talk about her life-changing win. Her 2019 U.S. Open women's champion, Bianca Andreescu. Bianca, first of all, congratulations. It is such a pleasure to meet you and chat with you. I want to take you to the morning after your win. Sunday morning, we know Saturday was the match, Monday did all the media. Sunday morning, where were you and what was going through your head? I was on cloud nine. I woke up with the biggest smile on my face. I'm so glad I'm back home in Canada to feel all the love in person. I want to show you some photos if you don't mind. Just of some moments, this moment. Do you remember this moment? What was going through your head? What mantra were you saying to yourself? I know the crowd was really, really loud. I remember I... I just, I have this image too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah but yeah, were, yeah. were you saying something in your mind? You know, Bianca, you got this. Were you saying anything? For ears to block out the noise in the last game. I just told myself to go back to my tactics and stay as calm as possible. Because when I am, then a lot of good things happen. And then it leads yeah. to this moment, right? right it leads here. to that moment <laughs> where you think all those tough moments are worth it in the end. Canada's first Grand Slam champion. Is there anyone uh, who, since uh, since the match, has left you starstruck? I mean, your phone must have blown up as soon as it was over. What was that like? And is there anyone who reached out to you that you, you just couldn't believe? LeBron James reached out to me. He DM'd me on Instagram. That one surprised me a lot. Um, so, yeah, like, that's crazy. It is really He's crazy. My, one of my favorite athletes.
the sacrifice that your parents must have made for you to be in this moment. They've been with me since day one, and they've supported my dreams. They've always told me to dream big. What they've accomplished ever since then, they have amazing careers, and they're just very motivated, and they've dedicated a lot for me to be where I am now. So I love you guys. I love you guys. I don't know. She didn't mention Drake. She still hasn't heard from Crazy. <laughs> I thought she did. Did she? I don't know. I, well, I, I LeBron. Thought I, read, I thought, well, that's, LeBron, actually. That's a good call. I'm, I would be happy with LeBron. Yeah, yeah. for sure. We're going to have to make up, like, little things, graphics that say Brock Watch and a ticker. Hold on. Yes, you're right. Don't mess with your hair. Well, my hair was messed. Now it's slightly not as messy. <laughs> um... It's looking more and more like Brock Besser won't be in Victoria this weekend for Canucks training camp. Actually, right now, he's working out with his old college team at the University of North Dakota until things are settled with the Canucks. There are all kinds of rumors, all kinds of conjecture. We know his side has said they want at least $7 million per year in a new contract. The Canucks can't go that high, at least right now, unless they shed salary, which could happen through trades if somebody wants to deal, of course. I gotta say, and I've probably said this before, so let me repeat myself, a team that has missed the playoffs four straight years or any lower echelon NHL team should not have only 4.1 million left in its salary cap. That is for Stanley Cup contenders to have those kind of problems. That's like being tapped out in your credit card even though you only eat at drive-throughs. Vancouver might be trying to sell a short-term deal to Besser and promise him some big money when some of their current veterans' contracts run out. I'm not so sure he's going to go for that. We'll see. I think it was Vince Lombardi who once said, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. Now, I would never say the BC Lions are good with all their losses this year, but one thing that can happen to a losing team is finger-pointing and arguments in the locker room. For whatever reason, though, the BC Lions players have decided to go through this horror movie of a season, keeping the brotherhood intact. In other words, no infighting. I mean, that, that's been a positive in the sense that the guys haven't turned on each other. Um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to stay positive when you're not getting the results. But like I said, I mean, you'd be around this building long enough to know that the guys, uh, you know, they continue to work hard every day and, and believe that it's going to show up. And, and uh, I mean, that's that's all you can do really is believe that it, that it's gonna it's gonna turn around. You got to keep working. But um, you know, there's been a lot of opportunities for this thing to go sideways and go south in terms of the uh, of the work ethic and and the personality of the guys in the locker room. They haven't done that, so happy about that. But um, but certainly want to see it start turning into wins. Antonio Brown was at New England Patriots practice today despite a lawsuit that became public yesterday where he's being sued by his former trainer for alleged sexual assaults on three separate occasions. The NFL is yet to make a decision on whether to suspend Antonio Brown, but they have started their own investigation. Brown's lawyers say they have plans to countersue his trainer. As for the Patriots, head coach Bill Belichick wasn't saying if they knew anything about this lawsuit before they signed him on the weekend. On Antonio's situation, uh, both Antonio and his uh, representatives have uh, made statements, and so um, I'm not going to be expanding on any of those. Uh, they are what they are. Um, we've looked into the situation. We're taking it very seriously um, all the way through the organization. Um, sure, there are questions, but um, I'm not going to be entering into a discussion about that today. 
This was yesterday. CONCACAF Nations play. Woo, that was fast. Canada and Cuba. And that's a goal by Alfonso Davies in the ninth minute. There, Alfonso Davies, if you didn't already know. Uh, that was the only goal in this game. Kyle Lahren had a chance here, but missed on the header. So Canada wins 1-0. They're now 2-0 in this group, but their group also includes the U.S., so Canada has to play them twice coming up in October and November. USA and France at the World Cup of Basketball. And looks good right now for the Americans. Donovan Mitchell there with a slammy at 29 points, but no points in the fourth. Rudy Gobert in France pulled the upset on the Americans. Beat them by 10. Wow. And the Americans are now out of medal contention. I know. They'll make the Olympics. That was a snap look. You I know. Snap my head around. Things that make you go, hmm, to use a very old song. Uh, the Peterborough Lakers need just one more win to take the Man Cup against Victoria. They won game four last night, 8-6. Now they have a 3-1 lead. Shamrocks won game one. Peterborough's won three straight. Uh, game five is tonight. Speaking of three straight, if Peterborough wins, this will be their third straight Man Cup championship. Mm-hmm. There you go. Shamrocks. Favorite team of Premier John Horgan. John Horgan. Could be sad tonight if they don't win. Well, Squire has connections that allow him to meet and greet and talk to some very fascinating people. Well, and Jane Clark is one of these people who is so engaging and so interesting. It's kind of like, I'll shut up and just listen, and you talk (laughs) as long as you like. Mm -hmm. Um, If I could take the entire hour of the show, I guarantee you she could keep you engaged for that long. Jane Clark is a poet, a painter, an artist. But most of all, she's a lover of life who likes to live, in some ways, by this motto. Well-behaved women seldom make history. And being 91 years old, she also doesn't believe in the constraints of age. There's an expectation for every every period in one's life that we're supposed to meet. Mm -hmm. I don't like meeting them. The exhibition of Jane's work at the Ferry Building Gallery in West Vancouver is also an exhibition of sheer determination. She wanted to revisit glaciers she had painted in northern BC 25 years before to see how they had changed. And she did it despite suffering a stroke that damaged the left side of her body. I wanted to do it before I had the stroke. That's the first thing. And then I'm sort of obstinate and... uh, if I made up my mind to do something, that's what's going to be. And stroke was something I just had to overcome. One hand is not enough, you know, and I can't borrow somebody's left hand, so, so I have to do whatever I can do with this. Her life as an artist began back in England during the dark days of World War II, where the Battle of Britain raged overhead. We watched planes being sparring down and crashing, as children and didn't think anything of it at all. I mean, there was no understanding, really, of the magnitude of what it, was, what it meant. But she recreated what she saw in a series of drawings. They were chosen by Winston Churchill's government to be part of a traveling exhibit to show Americans the horrors of war through the eyes of British children. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know what happened to anything, but I know what I received was a, a letter from Churchill which I don't have, unfortunately. I don't know what happened to it in the years, but it was signed by him that I had won this, this award and uh, congratulating me for, you know, for joining in to, to help the country. My mother was very proud of me, which was good. 
After the war, Jane made her way to Canada, which for an artist was inspiration at every turn. Just magic for me. Oh, I mean, the land itself, I, I will, will never forget that feeling of, of the expanse and beauty of it. She raised two sons in Canada, Bruce and his older brother, Brian Adams, who summed up his mother perfectly 10 years ago after she had painted a mural in North Vancouver. My mother is known in the family as the legend. My brother and I call her, where's the legend? Oh, she's around somewhere. I think I've got a number of years yet to go and I intend to live them. And if I live them and have to die in a place like that, well, I'm blessed. So it's okay. Wow. Yep, I say a lot of determination uh, to go up north in a helicopter, draw, paint, come back and put it on exhibit in West Vancouver at the Ferry Building Gallery. A woman on a mission. Very good. Thank you, Squire, and thank you very much for watching. Hope you have a great evening, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow night.